The legalization of cannabis in Canada gave people the freedom to choose to consume without fear of arrest or prosecution and created a new economic driver. But four years later, legacy growers are feeling left out and the legal market is still in competition with illicit sales. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Brian Passafume joins me to discuss how big the sector has become, why some who were in business before legalization have faced hurdles, and what's keeping the black market in business. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Brian, we're just past the four-year anniversary of the legalization of cannabis in Canada. And I know at the time it was seen as like a huge, you know, it's a bit very big deal to change our criminal law to legalize uh, the retail sale and consumption of what essentially was a considered narcotic. And <laughs> people were, were excited about the business prospects and what this would do to the economy. And I mean, looking at the scope and, and the success of the program in general, how successful has cannabis become as an industry in Canada? Like how many, how many retail outlets are we talking about? How many dollars in the economy are we talking about here? Yeah, it's the answer to that question. Really? It's, it, there's no easy answer to that question. It's, it's sort of uh, weaved in a lot of, uh, sort of a big big web of, of intent and what your audience is and things like that but you know for for, for people who enjoy recreational cannabis I think it, it, it's been a great success on that end when you go deeper though particularly when it comes to the uh, sort of the way that the industry has grown up a lot of people are kind of sort of wondering if things could have gone a little differently Ontario is, is Canada's biggest uh, market share for, uh, for for cannabis so when you kind of look at how Ontario is doing it it's kind of a uh, sort of a larger picture of how Canada is sort of doing as a whole. As of uh, the end of last quarter, uh, Ontario represents uh, just under 41% of uh, recreational cannabis consumption in Canada, and, and that's and that's more than than the second or third place uh, finishers combined. Alberta came in second with only 17%. Uh, uh, Quebec, third percent, fourteen percent, and British Columbia, thirteen percent. So yeah, it really Ontario has really kind of taken the lead in Canada when it comes to sort of the uh, the current state of of, of, of government licensed, government regulated cannabis. That's totally removed from the whole culture end of it. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, sales in Ontario, for example, at the end of last quarter was uh, three hundred ninety eight million dollars uh, spread uh, across uh, fifty nine million grams of uh, cannabis sold. And, and, and the vast majority of that are in brick and mortar retail stores. So, yeah, it's um, it's kind of interest, interesting how legalization has rolled out uh, four years into it. Mm -hmm. Now, this has obviously opened up a new stream of entrepreneur. There's new companies out there in the country that didn't exist four years ago. Names like Aurora and Fire and Flower, like all of these these different retail companies and growing companies have have cropped up. But what about people who are in business? before legalization. I mean, there, there were, <laughs> we, you know, we've all heard the stories about all that great BC bud out there. Like how have things changed or, or not changed for these individuals? Yeah. And when I, when I, when I mentioned earlier about the sort of the distinct line between kind of the industry and the culture of cannabis, and, that, and that's what I meant, you know, cannabis has been a sort of an ingrained baked in part of uh, British Columbia culture for, for decades. And this, and this, this is kind of where a lot of observers and either myself, you know, kind of feel that legalization has failed in Canada, is that these are the people that for, for decades were on the front lines of, of trying to get this legalized, of trying to convince uh, governments and society as a whole that cannabis isn't the boogeyman that uh, 
that uh, the war on drugs has made it out to be. You know, there's there's some definite uh, there's a lot of scientific work needs to be done, but there there are some definite indications that uh, that there are some therapeutic benefits to, uh, to, to to cannabis. Not mention you know the whole libertarian end of you know adults can do whatever the heck they want with their own money and the privacy of their homes. But yeah, there's. Um, Kind of the, the one of the more interesting aspects of, of covering this is that uh, there, there's organizations, uh, particularly in BC, that are that are concentrated on on, on converting BC's craft legacy cannabis uh, industry into into the legal market. But uh, unfortunately, as as they're as they're finding out, the the red tape to go legit for some of these uh, producers just just isn't worth it. And what kind of red tape? What kind of barriers are they facing to making the jump from illicit grower to legit businessman or woman in september i spoke to the um, uh, organization that that just does that the moving the legacy growers into into the legal market and, and i spoke to a lot of growers i spoke to one who's uh this one woman who who runs a grow operation out by prince george and yeah she, she was proud of her product she said that her her dream her dreams ever since getting into it and she says a lot of her you know her co-growers feel the same way is, is seeing their product in stores and being appreciated for the product that it is i don't smoke flour i don't smoke uh, weed so i don't uh, have any <laughs> have any knowledge of that but uh, but yeah like, like she was proud of her product and she, and she wanted to go legitimate and unfortunately the the rules that they put in place her name is Tara Kirkpatrick. Uh, she runs Backwood BC Bud in, uh, in Prince George. She was telling me that transitioning to the legal market was was the hardest thing she's ever had to do. And she told me that if you don't have a hundred thousand bucks cash in order to build out your facility, like you're you're never getting your license. You know the 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 requirements require you to have your facility completely built out, complete, ready to go before they'll even like consider you for a license. And that's no guarantee you'll ever get the license. So you know when you got a grower, you know anticipating having to spend nearly half a million dollars to produce a legitimate operation one that that isn't even guaranteed to be uh to be approved a few a few of them a few of them think it's even worth it and uh, not only mention that but uh you know a lot of them uh, you know might have criminal pasts you know when you when you grow weed uh, illegally you know you run the risk of uh, running afoul of the local law and Anybody who has any sort of a criminal background is instantly uh, instantly removed from 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 the from the running. So, in that aspect, yeah, I think uh, legalization has been a been a really big failure in, in sort of uh, incorporating the past into the future. We'll be right back. Now, one of the big planks in the push to legalize weed was the notion that it would clamp down on or or even eliminate black market sales. How has the legal market fared so far compared to the illicit market? It's been a slow burn. It's, uh, you know, a lot of people thought this would be like, you know, the end of prohibition in the States where, you know, they, you know, they repeal the Volstead Act and suddenly the the breweries open their doors and everybody's kind of, you know, drinking illegal beer and, and, you know, the Al Capones and, uh, and the Lucky Lucianos of the world end up kind of going away. And that never happened. A lot big reason for that is is the fact that uh, you know we were kind of sold sold a bill of goods of what the illegal cannabis industry is that it's all like you know biker gangs and 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 criminal organizations and you know the next uh, team to buy is gonna you know fund some sort of like a you know a terrorist attack or something that that really isn't the case the legal market in in Ontario uh, and yeah specifically in Ontario like it only it, it only outpaced the black market like I think like the second or third quarter of 2021 like it was it was pretty 
pretty recent. And even according to the uh, Ontario Cannabis uh, Corporation, the, uh, the the government uh, government run organization that uh, sort of deals as the uh, the legal uh, uh, clearinghouse for for brick and mortar cannabis stores, as of their last uh, their last quarterly update, uh, the legal market is only fifty eight percent of the Ontario cannabis market as a whole. So you know the legal market's still got a really big foothold, forty one percent. So it's uh, it's, it's anybody's guess what uh, what happens in the next little bit when it comes to uh, squelching out the black market because it's not nearly as easy as I think that uh, the Trudeau Liberals promised it would be. Now, I guess I'm curious what, based on your reporting, what what's keeping the illicit market operating? Is it price? Is it the ability for the black market to undercut the price of, of retail stores where they're paying for a retail setup plus there's taxes and, and all of that? Is it the availability of certain products? Or even is it the supply chain? How does how does that factor in? There's a lot into it. Um, there was a, a big uh, it was a computer hack that took down Ontario's cannabis market for, for quite a little bit over the summer. Uh, there was a public service strike in, in British Columbia that uh, kind of promised to do the same thing. So yeah, the uh, you know the, the incredibly fragile, insecure supply chain, particularly in uh, in provinces that rely on government run uh, clearinghouses to uh, handle the distribution. Uh, another aspect is uh, is potent. Po- and products available. Uh, edibles, for example, anybody who's uh, you know, had any experience with cannabis edibles uh, knows that uh, you know that the dosage matters. Uh, it creeps up on you, but you still have to be able to take uh, have enough to have an effect. In Canada right now, the limit for that is 10 milligrams, which is nowhere near a psychoactive dose. So you'd have to spend a lot of money just especially particularly if you have some certain have some sort of a tolerance to thc yeah you, you spend a lot of money just to get uh, you know any sort of effect out of a legal edible and, and a lot of people who are in edibles don't bother with legal stuff because it just isn't strong enough so you'd have to uh, you know there's there's plenty of places around uh, even some brick and mortar storefronts that sell illegal and in, 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 in gray market cannabis and a lot of their sales are edibles um, another issue is the culture. You know, some people just, uh, you know, if you, you know, a lot of these people have been smoking weed for, for decades, you know, just, uh, the, the mere principle of, of purchasing the weed from the government is, is distasteful to them. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of reasons why the black market is taking such a slow, uh, slow progress to, um, to being replaced with a legal one. Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes to the price of, of flour it, itself, it, you know, with the illicit market, I imagine that the price point could be quite a bit lower than, than what the legal market is, is offering. So that's the thing, you know, the, uh, it's, it's, it's still cheaper to buy it illegally. The OCS, for example, here in Ontario, they, uh, they just recently unrolled an ad campaign saying, you know, saying you don't know what you're getting when you're buying illegally. And yeah, it's just like anything else. If, if you have a trusted buyer that, you know, where you're getting it from for years and years, you're not going to have a problem. But yeah, particularly when it comes to things like vape cartridges and edibles, you know, there is that, uh, that standard of, of, of quality and, and of, uh, you know, what's in it that you get from the legal stores that you just can't get from the illegal ones. Anybody who, who, who vapes weed, who has uh, bought, uh, some sketchy uh, cartridges at a local reserve or, or at a, an illegal store, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just you breathe it in, and this is like, like, what am I breathing in here? What chemicals? Like, like what what was used to make this? It's less of an issue for things that are unprocessed, like flour and, and bud and keef and things like that. But when you get into the processed end of it, um, I think a lot of people uh, are uh, are kind of uh, more willing to sacrifice the uh, the price point and the potency just for getting something that uh, they know wasn't made in someone's uh, kitchen sink uh, next to the uh, the thawing uh, chicken wings. <laughs> You mentioned earlier, you know, that the Canadians potentially were sold a bit of goods when it when it came to, you know, who was running the black market in Canada. So I guess who makes up this black market? I, I imagine that there are 
organized crime operations that are involved in the distribution and, and wholesale sales of, of cannabis, but are, you know, who else is, is at play here? Are we, are, you know, is it craft growers like, like we mentioned previously, is it other kind of like sketchy illegal growers who's operating the illicit cannabis market in Canada? There's no easy answer for that because there is no one answer. Like it's not just biker gangs. It's not just, you know, criminals. It's not just organized crime to hundred percent that there, that is involved. But you know, there, there is a lot of people, as I said before, who have been in the industry for a lot of years, who consider themselves legacy growers, legacy dealers, legacy producers who are, are, are proud of the product. And depending on where you go in Canada, like, like for example, the specter of uh, illicit weed in BC is completely different than what it is here. Out there, you see a lot more you know, almost like uh, farmer's market kind of stuff. We're out here, it's a bit more industrialized and a bit more crime-ridden. So, yeah, it really depends on where you go. There's no one really easy answer for that. And it's uh, there's no one easy answer solution either. Now, after four years, the, the federal government announced that it will be reviewing cannabis legalization. What What is this review going to look at? The review came out, um, they, it was supposed to happen a year ago. The legislation that legalized cannabis also baked in a, uh, a requirement that there must be a review after three years. The government was late in bringing that out. They didn't roll that out until just a few months ago, a few weeks ago. And they've never really given an answer as to why. You know, they blame pandemic and, and everything else but that being said it's in progress um they're going to be looking at a whole bunch of issues they're going to be looking at um a lot of issues that in my opinion are kind of left over from the uh from the salad days of legalization about what uh, the government thought was the issue here you know a lot of important issues too like how it's affecting youth how it's affecting uh indigenous communities how it's uh specifically about uh, allowing people to grow plants in their home i think the regulation i think is like no more than four plants per household not per person per household which uh, i know some people who do grow at home and uh it's one of those things that you most likely have to own your own house to do because anybody who rents uh uh, probably has uh, agreed not to grow, produce, or smoke cannabis in the rental property. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, answers come out of this, and uh, if any of the answers will be uh, will be useful. Mm-hmm. And you know, as also as I understand from some of your reporting, that in addition to some of those issues you mentioned, the the review kind of had an expanded mandate. What other issues are they looking at, and why did they choose to expand that mandate? Yeah, they uh, from the original mandate. Yeah, they're they're going to be, uh, and a lot of observers are happy about this. Is they're they're widening it to uh, more about the economic, social, environmental impacts. Probably most importantly, in a lot of circles, is, is how legalization of rec- recreational cannabis has impacted to access to medical marijuana because for years uh you were able to be prescribed it uh a lot of people that were kind of you know trading information on how to fight friendly doctors to uh find them to uh you know prescribe some joints but uh it's uh yeah it, it really is it's it's an important issue uh sort of having access to medical marijuana and sort of furthering the uh, the investigation into the alleged therapeutical benefits of it uh, as well, um, you know, expecting the impact on how legalization has impacted indigenous communities, uh, racialized communities and women and, um, and just people who face, uh, you know, if they face greater harm and barriers in participating in the legal cannabis industry than before. Yeah. And now when is this review expected to be completed? Won't be soon, maybe 12 to 18 months. Um, 
you know, but as as that goes as well, uh, there's uh, there's some hope. There's uh, uh, an MP in the uh, in the in the review board, uh, Nathaniel Erskine Smith, who is also co-chair of the government's all pan but all all party cannabis caucus. Um, he said that uh, you know if, if if things come up that can solve some problems in the meantime, uh, yeah, that's something we'll look into. That they won't definitely won't necessarily have to be till the end of the report for uh, some positive changes are made if uh, solutions are found. Definitely a, a complex, complicated issue, and we'll, we'll see what that report turns up. Brian, thanks for your time. Anytime. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Brian Passafume. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>